Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where one, two, three, four, five, everybody in the car, so come on, let's ride, a little bit of D-Lo in my life, a little bit of Beasley by my side, a little bit of Vando's all I need, a little bit of Rui's what I see. That's that was really the, good, dude. That's the uh, Mo Bamba number five, Alan, if you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome back from All-Star Weekend because just like slam dunk champion Mac McClung, the Lakers are going to need to pull off a 540 in their season to close with these last 23 games in order to make some playoff noise with their fun new crew of actual NBA players. So I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm, of course, joined by my co-host, Alan Riley, who is doing this via drive-by. And Alan, we've got a lot to catch up on because the last time we had you on this podcast, we were going nuts over the Rui Hachimura trade alone. And a lot has happened since then, and D'Angelo Russell is a Laker again. So... It's crazy because last year, at various points of this podcast, we talked about Rui Hachimura, Mo Bamba, and Troy Brown potentially being Lakers or potentially being targets that we'd like to see in a Lakers jersey. And here we are. They're all Lakers now, Alan. One thing we definitely didn't talk about, though, was D'Angelo Russell returning as a Laker. But with all of that said, how are you feeling about the Lakers now? Yeah, dude. What a whirlwind. Uh, it feels like, you know, we've, we've all kind of heard takes. It feels like we have a real basketball team now. 
it's yeah, it, it's really refreshing um, to have players who are skilled that are just a better fit. It's it's weird now, right? Because and we talked about this before, and I, I mentioned how our expectations had dropped <laughs> like mm-hmm. so low at one point. They was like, you know what? I'm just here for the ride. Let's just watch basketball. And if guys play well, they play well. If they don't, well, this is what we're dealing with here. Now it's like, oh, shit. Like, pressure's on. We have to be good. I have to stress out over every game and every possession. And um, ultimately, that is so much more fun, though, right? Because we're all actually going to be engaged in a product that's got a fighting chance at, at doing something relatively significant so it's definitely i feel renewed how, how about that that's yes, how i feel when I, it comes to this team i love that phrase and you're right because before even the rui hachimura trade happened we were talking about how it's hard to get up for a team that's seemingly stuck in perpetual limbo right and you know that They're likely just going to flip the roster over again with new guys. And then how can we feel invested about guys who are only on the team for six months to a year at most, right? But with this new new group, we're finally invested. We finally care again. And we know that the present won't just be fruitlessly wasted for another mindless overturn this summer. I mean, it still might be, but given everything that we've given up to get this group together, it seems like they're committed to at least trying to build out a fundamental core of guys that they're willing to roll with into at least the start of next season to see what happens, right? And Alan, I mean, you're right. The pressure is on and I... I just want to see D'Angelo Russell in a Lakers jersey playing meaningful Lakers basketball. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've Mm -hmm. never seen that. Uh, I want to see Rui Hachimura succeed in a Lakers jersey. It doesn't matter, Alan, how far we get. I just want to make it to the playoffs, dude. I want to see them play. I just want to see them in context that we've never seen them before, playing next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. You see the renewed vigor in LeBron and AD themselves having actual starter-level quality teammates around them and how that shifted the entire dynamic of play for this team. And so, yeah, the stakes are higher we are living and dying by each possession again. My girlfriend was saying like, wow, you're a lot more invested in these games and you're a lot more vocal. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I know. It, it means something now, you know? But okay. as you mentioned, it that's a good thing. Yeah. So yeah, with that said, in this episode, we are obviously going to get into our first impressions of seeing the new look guys in action. Uh, but Alan, since I haven't yet gotten your visceral reaction to the trade deadline, take me through your thought process when you first heard about the modified jazz trade including d'angelo russell that first popped onto the airwaves i think wednesday the day before the trade deadline and yeah just your thought process when that happened because i mean when we talked about the Rui deal i mean at least personally for me i thought that's probably it but you know what i'm satisfied with this and for palinka to actually pull off a russell westbrook trade Bring back D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and then the next day, adding the cherry on top of the Sunday by trading Thomas Bryant for three seconds, one of which went to Orlando, and then trading Pat Bev along with that second to get Mo Bamba, further assuaging our guard glut. I mean, could you believe what was happening in front of your eyes from Uncle P? <laughs> I could not. <laughs> not at all. It was... It was um... 
surreal, you know? It was, like, real shock. I mean, we've all uh, experienced, like, crazy free agency signings and things like that over our Laker crews. There's so many, like, I remember why I was at when, like, LeBron news became official, when... For some reason, this stands out of my head. I remember exactly where I was when we got Steve Nash. Um, yeah. And I remember, like, texting Tommy right away. Um, same with uh, Meta- or Ron Artest at the time and, you know, all these different things. So this one for D'Angelo, I was packing up, ready to leave work because it was, like, in the evening. I don't know. It was, like, close to 6 o'clock. And I put my headphones in and I put on, like, ESPN radio stream. Just in case, I'm like, I don't want to miss anything as I'm walking from the office to my car. And within like a minute, there was like the breaking news. And uh, it was like George Sedano broke it, you know. So that was crazy. And like my coworkers are with me and they're, you know, we're like kind of talking, but I, I have my headphones in like a jerk. And um, they're, they're kind of talking to me and I, I, I wasn't really listening to anything they're saying. I was so distracted. Um, so I will never forget that. Um, I was really glad to hear it in like real time. And then the subsequent trades, like all the other ones that went down too. honestly, like it was just such a blur. It's kind of hard yeah. for me, you know, to have like a reaction to each piece. But the sure. D'Angelo one was like, oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, we all freaking love that dude when he was here mm-hmm. it's, it's all freaking archived like we were actually doing this podcast when he was on the team so yep. i remember one time tommy and i ran into him at this like like i forgot what place it was in west la but there was like outdoor bar area <laughs> and then Dilo was there eating french fries um nice i don't he was not 21 years old yet and he just had like his own table and he was kind of by himself and tommy and i were looking from across we're like pretty sure that's D-Lo. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the bathroom and I'm just going to walk <laughs> by his table and get like a closer look. Of course it was. And then Tommy and I both went up to him and we, at that time he was kind of catching heat from people for being like immature or whatever. Mm. So I remember we both told him like, Hey, like we really like your game. Like we respect what you do. You're fun to watch. Nice. We're rooting for you. And he was like, ah, oh, like, thanks guys. Appreciate that. So those were the first things that popped into my head when this trade went down is, and he has said it so many times, like I'm a grown man now, you know, like I'm not a kid anymore. Um, I went through my growing pains and all that stuff. And I'm like, but you can see how excited he is. He's like the same guy, but mature. So yeah, it it just puts a lot of things in perspective, like how far we've all come just like us Mm -hmm. (laughs) as young adults too. Like, Holy crap. That was kind of a long time ago. and, And now he's back. So yeah, that was my my in the moment kind of thing. And then after I think that even as I'm talking about it now, I'm like, oh, now I remember how I felt about Vando and, and all that stuff. Um, Vanderbilt, I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy is like a really freaking good defensive player, good rebounder. I didn't realize how versatile he was until, you know, he played a couple games for us. Yeah, like I'm sure we'll talk about his game a little bit more, but. Those are my first thoughts on him. And then, um, you know, of course, the shooting, you know, that we added to. So, yeah, dude, that, that's how I felt on on Wednesday night. And then the Mo Bamba thing just like, <laughs> blindsided me. I don't know. It's like, wait, we, we freaking wanted this dude, you know, this yep. past summer. So Uncle P, got to give him his flowers, right? We got to yep. take our hats off to him for doing all of this work. can only imagine, like, how stressed he's been <laughs> and for what sure. it's been like for him. 
Yeah, Uncle P doing work 2-4 on his shirt. D'Angelo Russell, like he never left. You guys obviously know my story, meeting D'Angelo <laughs> Russell, his like rookie year in Vegas, and me telling him, hey, you should try out my three-point celebration called the Wolverine, where you put both of your hand knuckles across each other and then sling out the three fingers. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> And then he ended up doing it in a game, right? I don't think he like... I remember exactly where we were when you told me about that interaction. That's so funny. That's hilarious. So yeah, we are intrinsically tied. This podcast is intrinsically tied to D'Angelo Russell because I started this with Tommy his rookie year as well. So the longtime Lakers Legacy podcast listeners know all about that. But with that said, before we take it to break, Alan, and before we get your breakdown of what you've seen from these individual players... From a general macro sense, looking at this Lakers team as a whole, and granted, we've only seen the full iteration of the team with LeBron for one game against the New Orleans Pelicans, but in general terms, what's been your quick macro impression of the team seeing these new guys in action? Because for me, really quickly, I mean, the biggest thing is we're finally playing in the modern NBA, right? With intuitive spacing, we've got a skill guard. We've got skill on multiple levels. We've got smarter read and react type players. And most importantly, we've slotted guys down properly now that we have actual depth where Lonnie Walker, who was arguably our third or fourth best player to start the season is now our 11th best player. And sadly is relegated to being like a pure insurance policy. Um, And then most of all, well, not most of all, but from like an intangible sense, there is that renewed oomph and verve amongst the players, most especially LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But from your end, what have you seen in general from the team as a whole with these new guys? Yeah, just big picture. Like, it's a lot more fun to watch. And not just because, like, oh, yeah, like, they won a game. (laughs) You know, they played really well against New Orleans. But just the style of play, like you said, is so much more pleasing to view. You mentioned, you know, modern NBA, I think is the perfect way to describe it. It just feels like we're watching a regular basketball team now. <laughs> so um, sad. Versus, like, that's so, that's such a low bar, right? Um, as opposed to struggling every single possession, like, what the F are we doing? Yeah, okay, we won, but it just felt like crap. And that's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, in the long run for the playoffs or anything like that. Like there's, there was no foundation or there was no system. <laughs> uh, and, and this just makes sense now. Well, what's funny, Alan, I don't think there's a system yet either because these guys haven't had time to gel, but you just see what happens when you actually have skilled, intuitive players who can shoot, defend, are athletic and just have the intuitive know-how and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, you just put them out there and they play well and the spacing just naturally works itself out. The guy's chemistry naturally works itself out. I mean, you saw it between D'Lo, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James. They're just spamming that pick and roll in transition. It's like they've always been playing with one another. So it's like yeah. system or not, you just get more intuitive pieces and wow. Yeah, I think system, yeah, system is not the right word. I think they play with more intention. <laughs> yes, yes. There was like no intention before, right? It was just, it was not swing, swing, swing. It was just like ball sticks, ISO, crappy shot, crappy possession over and over and over. Whereas yeah. like you said, now these guys play with intuition, like they know where to be, floor spacing, all that kind of stuff. They haven't even developed any chemistry yet. And yet, you know, you see what you get because of their IQs and the skill sets that allow them to do those things. So I guess, yeah, it's it's more about that intention. Yeah, I agree. And most of all, it seems like all these players, D'Angelo, Vanderbilt, 
um, Malik Beasley. There's sort of plug-and-play type guys in the modern NBA that you can literally plug into any team and they know who they are, right? They're not going to drastically affect how defenses play and interpret your entire roster, right? Um, With that said, let's take it to break. And when we return, we'll get more into our individual thoughts on all of these new guys. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so we are back. Alan, I have some quick mid-range stats to throw at you because we've talked about Rui Hachimura being this mid-range maestro before, but I'm sure you also know this. No, that's DeAngelo- DeMar DeRozan. He's the no, master of the right. mid-range, according to the Utah Jazz PA announcer. Which he did not like hearing that for some reason, or he thought that was odd. <laughs> but actually, Alan, there is another mid-range maestro, mid-range maven on the Lakers, and that is D'Angelo Russell, because from 10-plus feet to the three-point line out, D'Angelo Russell actually leads the team in volume makes on the season and is second in percentage with 88 out of 185 from that range at 47.8%. So first in volume makes from that range and also second in percentage. Can you guess who is number one from that 10 to 23 feet out range percentage-wise? Marta Rosen? No, on the Lakers, I mean. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, Rui? It is Rui, you're right. So Rui Hachimura is shooting... from that range, hitting 66 of 131. So just a fun little stat that I dug up just showing the (laughs) mid-range proficiency of a team. Uh, Number three is Dennis Schroeder, actually. 46%. Yep, yep. All right. right. And then Anthony Davis at 42. And LeBron is surprisingly at 39%. I think he's had his struggles from the mid-range this season, but kind of doesn't matter because LeBron does whatever he wants anyways. Um, But with that said, let's get into the individual player breakdowns of what we've seen from them on the court. Let's start with D'Lo. I don't think we have to go too much deeper into this since we know his game from so long ago. But I will say, having seen him now three or four years later, I mean, a lot of the same qualities that we saw in him as a rookie and as a sophomore, a lot of the same qualities that we were trying to contextualize when he was struggling to show them consistently. But now it's like... Dude, this dude plays at his own pace. You can't speed him up. He's cool, calm, collected, and savvy. And I'm trying to like separate my thoughts on what we just witnessed from Russell Westbrook from what we're seeing from D'Angelo Russell to make sure that I'm not over-accentuating every small thing D'Angelo does because it's so the contrast is so stark, right? And maybe there's a little bit of that playing into things because like any dribble D'Angelo Russell does, I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, you just see how the defense reacts to him and how smoothly and in, under control he's able to navigate these screen and rolls and these pick and rolls. And he, he can pull up for mid-range anytime he wants to, you know? And the instant chemistry with AD and LeBron James has been such a joy to watch knowing that it's only been one or two games. But yeah, what have you seen from D'Angelo Russell, the return of D'Angelo Russell? Yeah, um, 
mean, they are very like flashy plays. It's probably the ones that stand out to people the most, but his lobs to AD, you know, passing to LeBron on the fast break and things like that. But really, like that is what stands out because, I mean, he's played with obviously high quality players um, before, but none of the likes of LeBron. And like what a difference that makes, you know, to have someone like that running on the wing with you or backdoor cut baseline. And when you have a guy who's such a great playmaker, so unselfish, like D'Lo combined with LeBron and you're the defense, you know, thinking about how to approach this. Yeah, that's that's quite a task. So that that's super fun. And I feel like, like you said, he's just plays so under control. I think the naysayers to D'Angelo, who are maybe just thinking about him, you know, back when he was a rookie with us, their thoughts are like, ah, he's like kind of a chucker. Shot selection might not be great. If he's like feeling it even a little bit, he's going to heat check. I feel like that's a large misconception of yeah. his game. And all you need to do is look at the stats. So I think that his shot, his shot selection has been selective <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, he's picked his spots. Like you said, you can't really rush him. He knows how to weave in and out and, and find um, those spots off of like a pick and roll and those types of things. And it's always been there, but now like the cerebralness of yes. his game is, is just going to up uh, his effectiveness and his efficiency in those moments. And um it just gives you a level of comfort too. Russ actually, I mean, he does, he did a great job of like pushing the break. There's no doubt. And he was better this year at like finishing, which, you know, it's not saying a lot, but with D'Lo, I mean, he has like the highest percentage of shooting in the paint, like zero to five feet. I think he's mm-hmm. definitely one of the best finishers in the league. And he's not a high flyer by any stretch. So yeah, you just feel a level of like security with the ball in his hands. And there aren't going to be as many, if any, like flubbed up fast breaks where you've got your head, your face like in your hands, you know, like, oh my God, like, what are we doing? I, I think that's that's been the, uh, the evolution of D'Lo. Dude, and like his game has matured so much. And you talk about the paint points. That wasn't the case as a rookie and sophomore, right? We were like, can this guy even get in the paint? Mm, but true. because... Oh, but because he has such a good foundation of who he is now and he understands himself and he plays with that pace, he almost looks even quicker, right? And more athletic because he knows how to toggle back and forth between the sleepy dribble and then all of a sudden quick first step into the paint and then all of a sudden scoop de doo layup. And then you mentioned it where he knows how to be a little bit more selective. He just reads the room better now, reads the game better. There was that one play in the New Orleans Pelicans game. You know what I'm talking about. It's the like I never left play where the Lakers were up by like, I don't know, seven points. He gets the rebound. He goes down court. There was a guy open to the baseline of him, but he was like, nah, I'm taking this three, you know? And he (laughs) shot the three and he knew, Alan, he knew I'm going to risk it. This may not be the best shot, but I know that if I hit it, Crypto.com Arena is going to go nuts, you know? It's the coach Carter shot. It's the Coach Carter shot, and the momentum is going to flip, and I could possibly blow the game wide open. He took the shot, he hit it, he turned around, started slapping that Laker, you know, title on his chest and said, like I never left, and Alan, we never look back from there, you know? Yeah, right. So, I mean, that type of stuff, it gives me goosebumps, you know what I mean? Ice in my veins. But yeah, love love that D'Angelo's back. I'm sure we'll have our fair share of, like, head scratchers from, you know, his play. But you know what? We've come a long way from, regardless, no matter what he does in an erratic way, 
it can't be as bad as what we just witnessed, obviously. Um, with that said, let's move on to Jared Vanderbilt. Do-it-all man with an endless motor. The playmaking, the dribbling skills, grabbing the board and taking it down himself. Those are all amazing and unexpected. But from the defensive end, dude, the way that he was locking down Brandon Ingram, this guy is such a high IQ defender. And as I mentioned before, he is the perfect utility guy, perfect plug and play glue guy that you can sort of insert into any lineup. It's it's funny because he's almost like our new Alex Caruso, but at the power forward position, you know what I mean? Or power forward wing position. So what have your thoughts been on Vanderbilt? Because whenever he's in the game, it's like a boost of energy that kind of uplifts the entire team, you know? Yeah, no, he's such a joy <laughs> to watch. Speaking of like feeling comfortable watching basketball, if he's defending, you know, the other team's best player or whatever, every possession you feel like there's a chance that he can get a stop, like a decent chance. And if he doesn't get a chance, it's usually one of those good, good D, better O type of situations. So knowing that we don't have Patrick Beverly guarding, you know, Kevin Durant or whatever, which is insane. <laughs> and, you know, like to, to Pat Bev's credit every now and then, like, yeah, he'll be pretty impressive in those positions. But I mean, when was the last time we had like a prototypical defender, like stopper? I mean, you said like Alex Caruso, but in terms of someone to pair alongside like a long wing type, it's like KCP, but KCP's like not nearly as big. He's not as long at all. Like KCP and Kuzma's best moments, you know what I mean? Fused together? Yeah, they're, yeah, for sure. Fuse them together. But this is like his MO, right? So that and like his rebounding were like a pretty awful rebounding team. So just getting those possessions, knowing that we're not going to give up nearly nearly as many offensive rebounds. I mean, that has been such a thorn in our side this whole season. So yeah. frustrating. Like, how many games did we lose just because of second chance points? And then, yeah, like you mentioned, the playmaking ability. That's something that I didn't know he had in his game. The ability to push the break. And the fact that that just puts guys... We have so many, like, finishers and versatile players on the team. It's crazy to say all that now. Um, it, it just opens up the possibilities and... Just having another guy that can do multiple things. He's not like a one-trick type of player. He's, he's another Swiss Army-ish type of guy. Is awesome. And we haven't like gone to know him as like a person or whatever yet. We haven't mm -hmm. heard too many interviews. But it just seems like he's another great locker room addition. I, I think that that also is something that can't be understated. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mentioned him as being a high IQ defender, but in terms of just being a high IQ offensive player as it pertains to knowing when to cut off ball, knowing where to fill space, and then knowing how to be the hockey assist guy. I mean, this guy's really smart at moving the ball around, whether it's off his own dribble or if he gets like a a pass where he's open, he'll attack the closeout and then swing it to the right cutting guy. You know, I mean, it's just, that's why I compare him to like Alex Caruso because Alex Caruso was a perfect off ball playmaker where he didn't necessarily have to create off his own dribble. You know, it's just like mm -hmm. smart reads. This guy knows how to do and like what a luxury that is to have because, you know, I'm, I'm sure some people were just like, oh, this is like a slightly upgraded version of Wenyan Gabriel. But dude, this guy's so much more than that, you know? No, definitely not. And nothing against Wenyan Gabriel. You know, he, he's great to watch too, but nah, it's a different caliber. <laughs> yep, for sure. All right, let's move on to Malik Beasley because he changes, Alan, the quote-unquote geometry of the court. 
because Malik Beasley actually ranks 8th in the NBA in most three-pointers made this season with 177, right behind Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum. D'Angelo Russell ranks 13th, by the way, with 154 makes, so just for your information. But what have your thoughts been on Malik Beasley? Because, yeah, man, I mean, it was so encouraging seeing his first game where he missed, like, six or seven of them, but he just kept firing. It's almost like, dude, the dude just Just knows who he is. Just like Mo Bamba, exactly. I mean, Malik Beasley knows who he is, and you see the way the defense reacts to him and charges forward at him, and it's also kind of comforting to know. Now, he doesn't have great handles, and there have been a couple of times where I've been frustrated by the turnovers that he has where he just gets easily picked, but it's just nice to know that kind of like Wesley Matthews, this guy can put the ball on the floor, attack the closeout because they're charging at him with such velocity, and he can make a play, whether it's that like lob to Anthony Davis or, perfect example, he just pulls up for that easy mid-range jump shot because this dude is a shooter-shooter. He's a laser, as LeBron James describes it. Uh, But yeah, what are your thoughts been on Malik Beasley? Yeah, I mean, I don't have many unique takes to add from that, but I I feel the exact same way. I love the fact that he kept shooting the ball in his first game because 99% sure that's first game, new team jitters and nerves and and things like that. And that's like perfectly fine. Get it out of your system. Keep shooting. But his shot is beautiful. (laughs) First of all, it is like so nice to watch. This is comparing apples and oranges. And I, I don't mean to be like, hating on Russ, but it just made me think like, oh, no more bank shots that hit the shot clock (laughs) types of things. Not that that's like, you know, Beasley's game at all, but just thinking of someone with a beautiful shot then immediately made me think of a not beautiful shot. Well, you can even compare him to Lonnie Walker because Lonnie Walker was a good catch and shoot three point shooter to start the season. But Malik Beasley is like unconscious and relentless with that. You know, he's got stuff in his shooting bag that Lonnie Walker doesn't as a stationary catch and shoot guy, you know? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I like the comparison that you had to um, Wesley Matthews. Wesley Matthews. Yeah, yeah, that's actually who I was thinking of before. If, if he ends up being like a Wesley Matthews type, who is someone who's very under control, right? Like you mentioned some of the turnovers that he had, whereas Matthews is very stable and solid. And I think that that stuff will come with time, just getting comfortable you know, with his position on this team. But being able to hit down like a mid-range shot and then being able to play make off of that as well and not being a one-dimensional type player, another plug-and-play guy and... um I don't remember the last time we had a laser (laughs) on the team, you know, like I I guess Jody Meeks (laughs) was a laser for us. I will say Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony last season, but that was for a team that hadn't, you know, didn't have playoff aspirations. Granted, this team doesn't yet have playoff aspirations as well, but I know what you're saying. And just to cap things off on Malik Beasley, it's funny that this year Malik Beasley is actually shooting a better percentage on pull up off the dribble threes than he is catch and shoot threes, if you can believe it or not. 37% versus 35% where he's hitting one three a game on pull-up threes where he's either relocating and taking one or two dribbles and then rising up. But that just shows you the caliber of shooter he is because Lonnie Walker is not shooting that volume and that percentage from pull-up off the dribble threes, you know? And with regards to his catch and shoot threes, I have a feeling that 35% number is going to rise with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So For sure. A lot um, more open looks here. <laughs> yep. So let's quickly move on to Mo Bamba. There's not a lot to go off of because he's only played one game. Uh, you mentioned he missed a bunch of threes. What I do like about Mo Bamba is 
it seems so effortless when he shoots that shot. I hope it obviously goes in more often than not. But the biggest thing for me is, dude, seven foot ten wingspan. Uh, the way that he just goes up to dunk, everything seems effortless. Now he is not fleet in foot, but that kind of doesn't matter when you have a seven foot ten wingspan. And you saw him block Brandon Ingram, who was trying to go up for a dunk. He had another block where he like spiked it out of bounds, like he was playing volleyball. I mean, this just gives our team, again, another dimension, but on the defensive end, where you can have Vanderbilt play free safety and then just rely on Mo Bamba to be the backline defense because you know whether he blocks the shot or not, he's going to bother the hell out of that thing because he is, Alan, he looks like a Stranger Things alien. My girlfriend said that, and I was like, you're right. (laughs) It's kind of eerie to see, but it works for this team because we just upgraded the we just upgraded Thomas Bryant on defense, you know? So, yeah, what have your quick thoughts been on Mo Bamba? Oh, yeah, it's a huge upgrade in terms of defense and compared to uh, Thomas Bryant. I mean, he was, like, a good rebounder and a decent rebounder. And he, he'd play physically in the post offensively, and obviously he's got a shot. But that length, like you said, while he may not be fleet of foot, when you think of what we had in JaVale McGee, <laughs> for example, um, someone who can just protect the paint, clean up that mess down there, allow guys who are playing perimeter defense, you know, to, to not have trust issues, basically, that's going to be really refreshing to see. Takes a lot of pressure off of Anthony Davis as well. I don't know how often they're going to be out there on the floor together, but um, I, I do think that, yeah, that's where you're going to feel his presence is on the defensive end. Offensively, it's like whatever you get from him, you're going to get. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the rebounding and then the block shots. I know that Brandon Ingram block was great you don't see that happen at bi because bi mm-hmm. has such incredible length he made him look like tiny dog <laughs> you know <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah dude that that acquisition came out of the blue and the fact that he was suspended for a few games and like there's a little bit more anticipation you know for him to come back after everybody else yeah it's gonna be exciting yeah i like how we got like staggered debuts for these guys you know like Rui and then Delo, vanderbilt beasley and then bamba uh really quickly can i get your updated thoughts on Rui? because for me you know obviously all these new guys kind of stole his thunder but i've actually been impressed with how boring and routine he's been i know that's like a counterintuitive phrase but offensively he's almost like this power forward version of D'Angelo. Obviously, I made the mid-range comparisons and you look at their numbers, but in terms of the fact that he's so under control and unfazed in the mid-range, he can get to his spot so easily and then just calmly pull up at any point, regardless of whether there's a defender or not. I mean, he hit some pretty clutch shots against that Golden State Warriors game on the road, you know, Uh, like an open three, and then he hit like a baseline jump shot where he attacked the closeout. But yeah, I've been impressed by just how he hasn't let all of the whirlwind news cycle of all the new guys sort of get him off his game I guess from the negative sense he's not as flexible as I thought he'd be his finishing is a little bit wonky and he kind of has Kwame hands here and there I'll maybe chalk that up to not knowing LeBron James and Anthony Davis and his other teammates as well but with regard to the positive aspects I like that Rui's just stayed Rui in in the mid-range what about you Yeah, super under control, like you said, a little bit boring at times. And I know everybody brings up the Kawhi Leonard (laughs) comparisons and then other people get really passionate about like saying, no, he's nothing like Kawhi. (laughs) It's like, we no, we understand that. But stylistically, they're the same. And he has those moments where he just goes to work, but it isn't flashy or super dynamic necessarily. And. I know AD and LeBron both told him, like, you need to assert yourself, be confident. 
and we need you to like go to work on the offensive end. You got to do it because that's why we brought you here. And the fact that he took that to heart and does it is awesome. So there's no like timidness or shyness in his game. I agree with you in terms of like seeing some of his areas for improvement, like finishing at the rim sometimes is a little, little iffy. And for a guy who's got a big body, he's pretty strong. It's a little bit surprising. So yeah. hopefully, you know, the work that maybe he'll be doing with Phil Handy, you know, on like the development side can, can increase his effectiveness down there. And then, like you said, the, the Kwame hands things. Yeah, he gets a little like, like almost ahead of jittery, himself, a little like exactly. Yeah, like the, the fast break, you know, from LeBron, like one of his first buckets. I think it was his first bucket as a Laker. He almost turned it over. It's, it's kind of ironic. I was going to say he needs to slow down. But like we just talked about how he does play at a good tempo. So um, it's more the mental side of things. Um, don't put the cart before the horse or you know, whatever it is. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I get that feeling with him. I'm like, oh, gosh, I hope he doesn't turn it over. You know, and we, we don't yeah. want that. It'll be interesting to see the minutes, too. I mean, coaching staff has to figure all that out. Like there was a game where he played not much. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but. There's one game he had like four points or something. I know this because he's still on my fantasy basketball roster. <laughs> and I'm reluctant to drop him because, I don't know. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see if it's a bit of a roller coaster. It'd be understandable, though. Yeah, he's kind of the new Kuzma because I feel like he's great insurance policy for whether AD or LeBron James go down because then he becomes one of the central focal points of the offense because you could just dump it down into him and let him go to work, you know? So I think he's still necessary, but it'll matchups will dictate how much he plays on a given night, you know? Um, With that said, for the last five minutes of this podcast, Alan, let's talk about the last 23 games for the Lakers. I'm entitling this episode 23 Jump Street because the Lakers got to jump quite a few teams to get to that play-in spot and get into the playoffs comfortably. So the Lakers have 13 games at home, 10 games on the road. They have three sets of back-to-backs. And L.A. is currently two games out of the 10th play-in spot, currently occupied by Oklahoma City. The Lakers are battling against the following teams for seeds 6 through 10. Portland, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, New Orleans, Golden State, Dallas. You can also add Utah in here, but I think based off of like the D'Angelo trade and you know buying Westbrook out, you can probably assume that they're, they don't care where they fit in the whole playoff scheme of things, but Utah's also there. Um, Los Angeles apparently has the fifth easiest remaining schedule in the league, but to me that's kind of arbitrary because 11 of our last 23 games are going against teams that were trying to leapfrog in the standings, and so you have to imagine that those same teams, Alan, have the same mindset the Lakers do in terms of trying to be the most locked in to make a push, right? (laughs) And then the last thing I'll say is, Matt Ryan's buzzer beating three versus the Pelicans early on in the season, that shot may end up being what saves the Lakers season at the end. Isn't that wild to think about? Um, But yeah, with 23 games to go, what record do you think the Lakers should strive for? And what do you think they'll get having looked at their schedule? Schroeder said they're gunning for 16 and seven. LeBron James like affirmed that. And during All-Star Weekend, LeBron called this the most important 23 games in a regular season of his career. But from your standpoint, what would make you feel comfortable as a fan for the Lakers to try and get knowing that they're currently with 32 losses right now and the teams above them either have 29 or 30 losses? Yeah, I think one of the more popular like predictions is 14 and 9. 
I think a lot of people have been throwing that record out there. Mm. As I like went through the schedule and all that kind of stuff, that's that's a result that if it were to happen, I would not be surprised. You know, it seems fairly realistic. That does not make me feel comfortable, though. I, I would agree with, well, if there's going to be a couple games that we steal, so to speak, yeah, that would put us at 16. And that would be an overachievement, in my opinion. Yeah. Just because of the amount of time that this team will have been together <laughs> and um, just gelling <laughs> and things like that. If this were the squad right from the beginning, it's a 100% completely different conversation. Yep. So, yeah, I'm pretty much uh, in step with Schroeder and LeBron on that one. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with you because while I'd love for them to go on a real run here and hit 16 and 7, like we're banking on things we've never seen from this team because we haven't seen this team, like you mentioned. I think they'll top out at 15 and 8, um, which should get them to 42 and 40. Good for hopefully ninth in the West and maybe a play-in bid. Like the median level of this, the median run is probably they go 13 and 10, which puts them at 40 and 42. And at that point, it's super dicey. Maybe they still manage to get to a 10th place play in seed, but man, is that cutting it tight, you know? Um, and then worst case is obviously they go 12 and 11, and I think they're out of it at that point. There are some things helping the Lakers, though, um, with regards to things out of their control but are happening to other teams. Like, for example, the Portland Trailblazers just lost Anthony Simons for the next month or so, unfortunately, but that helps the Lakers. Um, Zion's going to be out for the next couple weeks and is still being reevaluated. I know this one hits close home to you, but Carl Anthony Towns is still out. He's on your fantasy team. I know that. (laughs) So we'll see how much longer he'll take to return. And then obviously, as I mentioned, Utah kind of just being nonchalant, nonchalant about making the play. And you can probably take them out of this equation. But for me, the most important swing games are at OKC on the second night of a back-to-back coming up next week, at LAC, the Clippers, with Russell Westbrook. (laughs) It's crazy to think about, right? At the Clippers, second night of a back-to-back to to close the season in April. And then there are three games at home that I'm kind of circling to see whether the Lakers can pull them out because they are against pretty good teams that could kind of go one way or another depending on where their season is at that point. But versus Dallas versus the Warriors, and versus the Raptors at home in March. With regards to the Dallas and Golden State games, that will be the second time post-All-Star break that we'll be facing Golden State and Dallas because I think we face them this upcoming week right after the return. So it'll be interesting to see when we face them again where each team is in the standings. You know what I mean? So it's going to be... This is a mad dash, Alan. And like you mentioned, we are going to be so... Focus in on every possession. We are once again those crazy ass sports <laughs> Lakers fans that I don't know, man. I don't know. Good. Yeah, good. But I don't know if my girlfriend's going to be able to handle being around me during these, these next month or so. But as it pertains to being a true Lakers sports fan, Alan, we are back. We are here. And I just want to see this team together, even if it's for one round of the playoffs. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. All right. With that said, the last 23 is here. We will catch you guys next time. And 23 and us. 23 and us. (laughs) I like that. 23 and me. Ooh, maybe that's a better name for this. 23 and us. (laughs) I like it. I like it. All right, Alan. Well, thanks for joining us. We will catch you when the Lakers are hopefully ready to secure a play and bid. But with that said, see you later, dude. All right, man. Later. Peace. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.